0: Good morning. Um, The reading today is from, uh, on page 71, Exodus 14, starting at verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and have lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites, who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Peahaloph, opposite Baal Zephon. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on the dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord and when I gained glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been travelling in front of Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground, with a wall of water on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued them, And all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He made the wheels of their chariots come off so that they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing towards it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived.
1: Thank you, Adam, for reading that to us. Good morning, everyone. Uh, My name's Steve. I'm one of the uh, staff members here at the church, and it's great to see you all here this morning, especially if you're a visitor, Um, an extra special welcome um, to you. If you are joining us uh, and you weren't here last week, um, we began a new series last week entitled, How to Pray. Um, And Andy mentioned um, Pete Gregg's book Um, earlier on in the service. This is the book that we're using as we're going through that series. And uh, I join Andy in highly commending it to you. If any of you aren't uh, readers, you struggle with reading, um, the book is also available as an audio book as well. So do bear that in mind if you would prefer to listen to the book instead. So in the book, uh, Pete Greg talks about this um, acrostic of pray, that we pause, uh, we rejoice, we ask, and then we yield. And uh, this morning, we're going to be particularly focusing on the issue about pausing. How do we come um, to God in prayer and settle our hearts before we come before him and begin to ask him for things? And I thought I'd uh, begin by uh, actually sharing a parable with you that Pete shares in his book. The parable of the deranged greyhound and the wild dog-eating chair. Now I can see you're already on the edge of your seats wondering what on earth this is about. But let's, let's look at this. Now he, he, uh, he talks about the tranquility of Guildford. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say Totnes instead. I want you to imagine that cobbled, that cobbled street going up through the center of Totnes High Street. So the tranquility of Totnes' Totnes's picturesque cobbled high street was shattered one sunny morning by the yelping of a dog and a strange metallic clattering. Suddenly, a crazed greyhound came scrambling along the, around the corner with its whippet tail between its legs, weaving between shouting shoppers, frantic with fear and hotly pursued by one of those cheap chrome bistro chairs. The chair was attached to the other end of the dog's lead seemed alive like a dancing snake, weaving and flailing, striking and biting at the terrified animal's rear. Perhaps the dog owner was still inside, unaware of his pet's plight, innocently queuing for coffee. A moment must have made the chair twitch, which had made the dog jump, which had made the chair leap, which had made the dog scamper, which had made the chair pounce, which had made the dog yelp, which had made the shopper shout. Which had made the dog run even more frantically, pursued by all the white, all the while by this terrifying piece of metal and these crowds screaming, grabbing strangers. The faster it ran, the wilder the chair pursued, the higher it bounced, the harder it pounced, the louder it banged and clanged and zinged on the cobbles. For all I know, that dog is still running. We can live our lives a lot like that dog. Demented greyhound, driven and disorientated by irrational fears, pursued by an entire pack of bloodthirsty bistro chairs, too scared to simply stop. And so God speaks firmly into the cacophony of human activity. The master commands the creature to sit. Jesus rebukes the storm. He makes me lie down, as the famous psalm puts it. Julian of Norwich was a, a nun who lived back in the 13th century. Interesting enough, she lived right the way throughout the, uh, the Black Death and um, all those peasant res- revolts. And she's famed for being someone of stillness and silence and said this famous quote, that all shall be well, and all shall be well, and in all manner of things shall be well. And I don't know about you at the moment, I switch on the news of an evening and and see some of the difficulties that we're facing, um, not just as a nation, but as a world right now. And I think something of the, that spirit that Julian of Norwich had to say, that all shall be well, is something that we as Christians share uniquely in our world right now. And something that we can share with our world at this time. So how, but how do we get to that place? How do we get to that place of peace and tranquility? That's really what was happening in the Bible story that Adam just read to us a few short moments ago. When you're familiar with the story, the Egyptians have gone through these 10 plagues as Moses and Aaron came and said to Pharaoh, Let my people go. Eventually, after all these plagues and the firstborn of every household in Egypt dying, Pharaoh relents and releases the people. And they go off out into the desert, apprehensive, has Pharaoh really let us go? And sure enough, their worst fears were realized there on the edge of the Red Sea. They see the smoke rising up from all those chariots uh, coming towards them. They realize they can't go back to Egypt. They realize they can't go forward into the Red Sea and they're stuck. And I wonder if we have that sense of panic and fear as they had at that moment. We just don't know which way to go. We don't know which way to turn. And they begin to complain and they begin to grumble, a natural human emotion. But what does does Moses say? You will see the deliverance of the Lord. And then God says in verse 14 that that the Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. It kind of seems like an alien concept, doesn't it? Say, in the midst of that panic, in the midst of that battle, in the midst of that cacophony of noise and panic that what they are to do is to be still. And in Pete's book, that's exactly what he tells us to do before we come to prayer, to have that moment of stillness and quiet before we come to prayer. And I want to answer two questions as we think about that this morning. Firstly, why do we need to pause and be still? What's it all about? Why do we hear people talking about being still? And then how do we pause? And how do we be still and pause? I'm sure many of you you would as I was when I was reading this book. We'd love to know how to, do, how to do that better. So Eugene Peterson um, in a book, and this, this can apply to any of us, whether we're experienced Christ followers um, or whether you're just here this morning exploring things of the Christian faith. Eugene Peterson said that life's basic decision is rarely, if ever, whether to believe in God or not. There are very few uh, atheists, true atheists So, the decision is not to believe in God or not, but whether we choose to worship Him or to compete with Him. Deep within every human desire is, deep within every human being is that desire to find out, is there really more to life than this? And often that question can get answered in the wrong ways, whether it's climbing the career ladder or looking for intimacy in the wrong places or getting stuck in addiction cycles or just trying to do more or get more. It's exhausting and most often always leads to an empty feeling. The only one who can truly quench the thirst of every human soul is God himself. Andy mentioned it last week, to be a human is to pray. Prayer is a primal instinct of every human being. And therefore the question is never, should we pray? But it's how do we pray and to whom should we pray? One of the first things that we need to do before we even come to prayer is that we need to pause and to be still. To move forward in prayer, we must stop. In fact, the best way I'd say to all of us this morning to start praying is to actually stop praying. Pause before you pray may sound like a simple concept. Maybe even it's barely worth having a sermon of its own. But I don't know about you. For me, it's rarely easy. Andrew Sullivan, who was a political commentator, has this great line in his um, essay in the New York Times magazine article entitled, I Used to Be Human. He tells a story about checking into a digital detox center, so no phone for multiple days. Now, I know for some of you that thought is bliss, but for others it would set you into a spiral of panic to think, no access to social media for days on end. And this sparked childhood memories in his mind of growing up in the church. And he says this the reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because of science, because science has somehow disproved the unprovable, but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure or be reborn. If churches, he says, came to the understanding that the greatest threat to faith today, is not hedonism, but distraction, perhaps they might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled digital generation. Henry Henry Nouwen, a great spiritual writer, said it even more bluntly yet eloquently. Without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. You can't really follow Jesus fully until you learn to practice quietness. Now, I'm sure if you feel like me this morning, you think, "Oh dear, I've I, uh, I better get started on this stuff because I've not done it very well up until now." So, so we're we're in good company here this morning. We can learn together how we can do this better. But what do others say about talking about stillness? Saint John of the Cross said that silence is God's first language. Mother Teresa said that God is the friend of silence. Ronald. Uh, Rollheiser said a prayer, it is relaxing into God's goodness. Can you imagine saying that to a work colleague uh, tomorrow? What did you, what, you know, what did you do this morning? I started my day by relaxing into God's goodness. Douglas Steer said, to pray is to pay attention to the deepest thing I know. And finally, the Russian mystic, Theopan, the recluse, what a name that is. Theopan, the recluse, said to pray is to descend with the mind into the heart and there to stand before the face of the Lord ever present, all seeing within you. What all these spiritual masters are saying in the way of Jesus is that there is a type of prayer which feels more like resting than working, where you withdraw from the noise, from the hurry, from the overwhelm, from the distraction, to rest with God. And ironically, the busier we come, the, the less we spend in quiet and stillness, which was the opposite of Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed this, but the busier he became, the more he would often retreat into times alone. The reality is that there are so many things in the depths of our souls that we just don't want to face because of the pain or the shame, or the anxiety, or the guilt. We do everything we can to avoid it, and it has never been easy. Not only do we have Netflix, but I don't know if you've seen recently, Disney Plus is coming. Um, For those of you who want all things Disney, there's lots and lots of things in our world, whether it's our phones, whether it's social media, whether it's a constant bombardment of news. There are plenty of things around us which can distract us. And the reality is that one way or another, what's down in here, what's in our hearts, will come to the surface, whether it's pain or anxiety or disappointment at God, doubts, anger, resentment, or even positive emotions, joy, gratitude, hope, dreams for the future, or a mixture of the above. Whatever those emotions are in our hearts, they will come to the surface. And we have to sit still long enough sometimes with the full bandwidth of those thoughts and emotions to come up and pass through us so that they no longer own us. Instead, we are free. This stuff in us will come out whether we set time aside or not. And the question is, will we let it leak out of us in unhealthy, toxic ways and affect the relationship with those around us? Or will will it come out in the safe place of the Father's love? Sometimes people don't experience the full extent And the depth of the Father's love because they aren't able to be honest with God about themselves and about what a mess that all of us sometimes find ourselves in. We need to learn to hold ourselves before God with our ups and our downs and realize that he's there smiling on us in love. By facing the reality and the truth about who we actually are and what our role is in life, facing the realities before God. And it is only there that we can truly experience the full love of God's presence and begin that process of love and change and healing and freedom. There's part of us that wants to deal with this stuff, but there's also a part of us that doesn't. Uh, Ruth Haley Barton, in in her book on silence and solitude, writes about the push-pull phenomenon, where there's part of our soul that is pulled towards quiet with God because we know in the quiet There we will find him. But there's another part of us that just is pushed away from the quiet because we also know it's there that we find our pain and it's easier in the short term just to watch TV or go out with friends. Richard Foster says, Our adversary, the devil, majors in three things, noise, hurry, and crowds. If he can keep us involved in the muchness and the manyness, he will rest satisfied. Have you ever thought about that work in the world, the flesh, and the devil, working in that way in your life before? C.S. Lewis in The Screwtape Letters, which is a work of satire. If you haven't read it, it's a fantastic book. It's all about a senior demon called Screwtape and his apprentice. And he writes a series of letters, and there's a a famous quote in there which talks about uh, Screwtape's kingdom, the kingdom of the devil, which is at war with the kingdom of Jesus. And he says in there, we are creating a kingdom of noise. And at one point, quote, we will make the whole universe a noise in the end. Now, I want to share a personal opinion here. This isn't based on the Bible. This isn't based on theology. This is a personal opinion that I have. And I can't help but wonder if there is this strange, bizarre alliance between digitalism and politics and the entertainment industry and our own human vulnerabilities and even possibly the kingdom of the devil himself, all set at keeping us away from this quiet place. Why? I believe the following happens when we enter into that quiet space. The first thing is we face down evil and we confront reality. And these quiet times are not what the introvert would call um, me time or to relax and do your own thing. All of those things are great. By the way, I'd encourage all of you, especially if you are an introvert, don't be afraid to have that me time. But the silence and solitude that we see Jesus doing and what I'm encouraging this morning is really a fight uh, with the devil. If you this morning are sat there thinking, every time I try to enter and do this quiet thing, sat there feeling really bad, you, you sense the battle going on, don't you? Your mind's active, your um, you're distracted by things. And so there's this recognition that we are in a battle. This uh, picture is of an island on the west coast of Ireland. It's, a, um, it's called Skellig Michael. Um, it was popularized by the Star Wars movie. Now, whether you're a fan of the new movies or not, uh, this was the movie where Luke Skywalker uh, was found um, in those final movies. And if you haven't got a clue what I'm talking about, relax. It's fine. It doesn't matter is this beautiful, harsh um, island where the weather comes from the Atlantic. It's the first landmass on the Atlantic, which is, just gets battered and bruised by the wind and the waves. And you can see those stone huts there that are thousands of years old. And the, the monks would actually go out there and they would do battle with Satan. And they went out to the west, most westerly part of Europe to do battle with Satan and p- the Pope, even the Pope and others would write to these monks out there and would thank them for fighting that battle on their behalf. Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about a, a quiet day away at Buckfast Abbey, um, I rarely think about my quiet time being like that, maybe doing a bit of journaling or, or reading some Henry Nowen. But this silence and solitude is not a place where we go to feel good, although that will more than likely be the natural outcome. But it's a place where we go to fight evil, both for ourselves, outside of ourselves, but also inside of ourselves. Speaking of Henry now, he says that solitude is not a private therapeutic place. Rather, it is a place of conversion. It's the place where our old self dies and our new self is born. It's the place where the emergence of the new man and the new woman occurs. Solitude is the furnace of transformation. So the first thing we do then is we face and confront the evil outside and within. And we also confront reality. But we also experience God's compassionate love. When we pause, when we're there long enough, we realize that when we're alone, we're actually not alone. We become aware of a Trinitarian community of agape that's all around us, loving us. Because of Jesus' saving power on the cross, when the Father looks at us, He sees us with love and compassion. And when we're in these moments of stillness and quietness, we don't just know it, but we actually can experience it. We don't just have to read about it or hear about it. We can experience it for ourselves. And I am convinced that not one, if not the main reason that so many followers of Jesus do not actually, when they're honest, say they experience the love of God is because we're simply too busy. And I know that's hard for some of us to hear, especially those of us with children, those of us who have busy jobs, those of us who have busy lives. But even to carve out a couple, two or three minutes of a day will make all the difference. So the third thing that we experience in the, in the silence and the solitude is that we surrender. Again, in uh, Pete's book, he says this. Moments of stillness at the start of praying time are the moments of surrender in which we stop competing with God, relinquish our Messiah complexes, and resign from trying to save the planet. We stop expecting everyone and everything else to orbit our preferences. We re-center our priorities on the Lord and acknowledge with a sigh of relief that he is in control and we are not. Much to our surprise, the world keeps turning. Quite well without our help. Slowly, our scattered thoughts starts to become more centered. Bistro chairs finally settle down. Control is often a major barrier in, in many of our lives. Control is the enemy of the, trust in the, of the trust of God and in spiritual formations of people of love. If we're, not rele- we're not releasing control in a Stoic or a Buddhist way uh, where you give up your desires. That's not what we're saying here. The difference for us as Christians is that we reorder our desires, we reorder our priorities, and we put God as ultimate and God as center. We can see that in Jesus in Luke chapter 22 when he's praying in Gethsemane, where he says, not my will, but yours be done. This is the highest level of maturity where you can have desires. He said, Father, let this cup pass from me. He was weeping in that moment, but then he was able to say before God, That he released the illusion of control. He abandoned the outcomes to God. And then he said, I'm here to do what you're calling me to do. This is what it means as we follow Jesus to come to this place of surrender. Another thing that we see when we come to silence is that we hear the gentle whisper of God. This comes from 1 Kings 19, but I'm not going to focus on that today because we're going to have a whole sermon On listening to God, which I'll preach um, in a month's time. And then finally, as all of this has happened in and through our lives, in our hearts, that's when we begin to really talk to God. We don't run in with our shopping list. We don't uh, run in with all our desires and things. We actually begin to align ourselves better to God's will. Now, if you're sat there as I'm sure you are, and I've deliberately done it to make you feel a little bit un- uncomfortable. If you're sat there thinking, oh my goodness, you know this is way, way beyond, way outside of anything that I've ever done before, way outside of what I thought was expected of me, of me as a Christian, um, again, you're in good company. When I was preparing preparing this message, I was thinking, "These are, this is a challenging um, thing to come, to actually come and be still in such a, a busy and chaotic world. So I want to really finish in the latter part of, uh, of what we're going to talk about this morning and ask the question, how do we be still and pause? I want to get really, really practical for the last part. If you're sat there thinking there's no way that I could ever do this. So how do we pause? There are two golden rules that we need to be aware of. The first is that we must start uh, where we're at um, don't, don't go home to this afternoon and book yourself into a two-week silent retreat in a monastery. That would, that would not be a good, good way to start. Just start where you're at, which means if you've never practiced silence and solitude before, set, set a timer for, let's say, three, four, five, if you can manage it, five minutes, and know that at some point that timer will go off and, uh, and that the silence will end. But just sit still and wait uh, for that moment the other thing is that you can't succeed or you can't fail at this. And there's no one there judging you, telling you you're doing it right. There's nobody there saying you're doing it wrong. All we simply need to do is to sh- show up and resist the urge to say, oh, I'm bad at this, or this isn't for me, or I don't like this. Just, just be patient with yourself and just try it. These, um, these small incremental acts will slowly begin to morph into habits which will then eventually become part of your character. And believe me, this doesn't happen over days. This happens over years. Um, I started trying this stuff way back when I was in Bible college, uh, when they sent us all off um, to a monastery to do silent retreat. And that was the beginning of my journey. And it was so difficult. But it takes, takes time. Um, but I promise you, if you put the effort in and the time in it, it's really, really worthwhile. So I want to talk about about two issues here. One is our external environments. Now, this applies to all of us. Whether you're an introvert or an extrovert, we need to think about our external environments. And then I'm going to talk about stillness and quietness if you're an introvert, because for the introverts amongst us, it's a lot easier. But then if you're an extrovert, um, and and you just love being with people, and you love being around noise, and you love being around activity, um, I also want to say, well, how can we practice this Um, if we find ourselves on that end of the scale as well. So the first thing is our external environment. We need to pick the right time. And this needs to fit into our personalities. Um, So if you're a morning person, um, get up, set the alarm 20 minutes earlier, get up, make yourself a drink and sit and enjoy that time. If you hate the mornings, if you're like, there's no way I could ever do that, spend a bit of time before you go to bed. Just switch the TV off and before you get into bed, just spend a few minutes just being quiet before God. So pick pick the right time that fits your personality. Also recognizing that we're all at different stages of life. There are many uh, mums here that I'm looking out and seeing and, um, and I know for you to be able to even grab 60, 90 seconds um, and some, some of the dads as well, we, we, we struggle too, right? It's really, really hard to grab that moment to be still. So just Say, um, if, you have, if you have a partner with, with, a, with you in the house, a spouse, just say to him, would you mind just give me a couple of minutes just to go off and have some time to be quiet. The other thing we need to think about is the place. Now, Andy mentioned this to us last week. We need to find the right place. And if any of you clicked on the link uh, that went out in the email this week um, and, and watched that video by Bill Hybels, it's about 10 minutes long. Um, he talks about, The place, finding that place where we can go without any distractions and just be still before the Lord. The other thing I'd encourage you to do if you have a phone, uh, put it into airplane mode. If you do that, it means you're not going to get any incoming texts, any incoming calls, any incoming uh, messages. You can just switch it off. It's not going to buzz. It's not going to ring. You only have to do this briefly for a few moments um, but that will reduce the distraction around you. And another thing I do is that I have a notepad uh, with me. And the reason I do this is because when I try to stop, when I try to be still, um, lots of things start coming into my mind. I start thinking about the things that I need to do, the shopping that I need to buy, the, um, you know, the, the person that I need to call, the other thing. That I, and my mind is racing. So I just write those things down and then I've got no excuse then to think about them. They're there on the piece of paper and I'll come back to them after I finish being still. So that's preparing our external environment, and this applies to all of us, uh, whether we see ourselves as a natural introvert or an extrovert. For those of us who love um, having time on our own, for those of us who enjoy the stillness and the quietness, um, this is how I'd encourage you to think about stillness and quietness. Remember that um, when we become stressed, when we're rushing around, our adrenal Glands uh, release a hormone called cortisol. And cortisol prevents us from thinking clearly. Um, it prevents us from making healthy decisions. And it's been scientifically proven that if we can sit still for a while, the cortisone in our bodies subside. And at that point, we can begin to relax a little bit. Just uh, don't, I wouldn't recommend you lie down on the bed. If you're anything like me, you'll be asleep And in a few minutes. Just find a place where you can sit. Um, just relax. Be aware of your posture, your body. Um, if you know, if you feel tense, just just try to relax. Then be- begin to breathe. Um, inhale uh, life and the presence of the Holy Spirit, and just breathe out um, the concerns and the worries that you have. And please don't hear this as some weird Eastern mystic kind of thing. This this we we must we must recognize that in Judeo Christianity, uh, we were the first to talk about breathing and. Uh, the Holy Spirit, the breath of God came upon the earth right there back in Genesis. So don't be afraid just to, just to breathe in the presence of God and breathe out the things that are concerning and worrying you. And then begin to speak uh, maybe a phrase. Maybe when you breathe in, say, Father in heaven, and then breathe out, hallowed be your name. Breathe in, Father in heaven, breathe out, hallowed be your name. And just c- carry on that cycle for a while. Uh, maybe you want to breathe and, and speak out, come Lord Jesus, or come Holy Spirit, or thank you, Jesus, just, just a phrase that you can repeat just to make yourself aware of God's presence with you. And then I just encourage you to wait. Uh, wait for as long as you can bear it. Push past the distraction, even the pain if it comes, and just wait for the presence of God to come and overwhelm you. Now, for, for the extroverts in the room, for those of you um, who say, there's no way that you're going to find me sat there uh, doing this, don't, don't, don't panic, don't fret. Don't fret. Um, you're not a lesser Christian. You're not less spiritual um, if you find this sort of thing difficult. There'll be people in the room that absolutely love this. They're, they can't wait to go home this afternoon and try it. But for those of you who are not like that, uh, maybe you're a little bit, um, I, I would say I'm probably more of the latter here. Um, the kinetic energy, the idea, kinetic being moving around, um, exercising. Um, exercise, when I say exercise, I'm not saying you have to go on a 100-mile bike ride or go into the gym for 40 minutes. Um, It can even just be a gentle walk. Um, But actually getting outside, breathing in some fresh air, um, exercising your body, even if it's a gentle walk, can bring stillness. Stillness can be active. Um, In fact, there's been medical research which has discovered that exercise can be even more effective than sitting still as a way of calming the brain, diffusing stress, and stimulating clarity of thought. Um, as your heart pressure increases, um, it releases a protein called BDNF. Now, all the medics in the room are saying, yeah, I know what that is, and I have no idea, but this is, this is what the medical research says. And it actually repairs the uh, memory neurons in our brain. Um, endorphins get released, and it triggers a sense of calm and euphoria within us. So if, you're, if you don't like sitting still, if you don't like being um, sitting there in the silence, go, go off, uh, find, a, find a path somewhere where you know there's not going to be lots of people, even if it's just walking around the block. Don't get tempted to put a podcast on in your ears or anything. Just go and have a walk, uh, declutter your mind. Just say, Lord, everything that's on my mind, I want to give it to you. And then just begin to do that speaking exercise that I talked about. Breathe in, Father in God, hallowed be your name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you're with me. I want, to, I want to hear from you. And then just begin, as you're walking, just begin to wait and see what thoughts and, and ideas begin to drop into your mind. Um, so this is, this is practical stuff that all of us um, can practice, this being still um, before Jesus. Now I want to end um, by going back to that verse that Adam read to us before we um, invite. In fact, I am going to invite the worship team to come up now. Um, if they can. I, mean, I just want to talk about Exodus 14 again um, as we go into worship. And I want, I want us to think about what was happening here in Exodus 14. The, the, the Israelites had gone through this horrendous experience. Um, they thought on many occasions that they were going to be released from slavery. And then it finally happens. It finally comes. They get released into slavery. And then at that very moment when they're released into slavery, all of a sudden, the rugs pulled out from underneath them. They realize that the armies of Egypt are coming to pull them back into slavery. And discontentment and worry and anxiety and frustration and confusion begins to well up in their hearts. And I wonder this morning if some of us can identify with how the Israelites were feeling at that moment, especially when we think about this whole idea of prayer and being still. We just think our lives are in chaos. Our lives have, we've got so much going on in our lives. How on earth can I take time to be still before the Lord? And then what happens? It says here that they were terrified and they cried out to the Lord. And they started to complain to Moses. And Moses answered them, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance that the Lord will bring you today. And I want to say that over some of us this morning. Do not be afraid. Stand firm. You will see the deliverance of the Lord. And then he says this. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And and maybe, maybe this morning, some of us just need to hear that said over our lives again this morning. And as we enter into a time of worship, maybe you just want to sit and allow the music uh, to be sung over you. Maybe some of you just want to get up and praise and thank God for who he is. But maybe for some of you, um, the battle is raging so fiercely, so, fear, um, so fear, fear, what's the word? fiercely yeah that's the word the battle's raging so fiercely in your lives that you just want to say I I need someone to pray with me and um, it might be that you want to turn to someone that you come with this morning those around you and just say would you just would you just pray for me you don't have to tell them uh, what's going on just say you know I want to I want the battle to to subside in my life I want Jesus' presence to come and be more powerful more real in my life um, and maybe for some of you, you, you physically feel like you want to get up and come forward. And during, during the time that we'll, we're singing, um, we'll have our ministry team down here who would be delighted to pray for you. And again, you don't have to tell them your life story. They'll just be there to receive you and to ask um, for God's blessing um, on your life. So let's, let's now respond uh, to God how he would like us to respond. And we'll ask Ruth and the band to lead us now to God's presence as we respond the way God is calling us, each and every one of us to respond.